Amen. Feeling good this morning, church? Four of you? That's good. You feeling good this morning? Before we do anything, uh, I want to welcome everybody again who maybe that you are new to church. And I want to let you know something. Uh, last night I was just praying for today's service and and I, I wanted to go to sleep, but I, I couldn't help but sense from the Holy Spirit that there'd be some people in church today. And maybe you are new to church or you, it's been a while since you've been in church. And I just got this perspective again from, from the Holy Spirit of just how much God loves you. And it's no accident, no coincidence that you're in church today. And I wanted you to know uh, that the Holy Spirit encouraged me to encourage you. I was praying for you last night. You're just new to church, new, not even sure about God. I, I want to encourage you. God knew you'd be here today. And man, he loves you. He loves you. He's, he's called you. Anybody thankful that there's a God in heaven who loves you? He called you. I uh, just couldn't help but get excited to be in church because I knew God would be here and I knew you would be here. All right, hoped you'd be here. Can I get an amen? And uh, we're going to come around the word in a moment. And before we do, I want to talk about something significant in the life of our church. And you've heard us talk about this week in and week out. But I want to mention it again because we're less than two weeks out of one of the major gatherings, family reunions that we do as a church called Wave Conference. August 3rd to the 5th. It's a Wednesday night, Thursday, and Friday. And, and church, I, I just I want to encourage you, whatever you can do to be there, to be a part of this moment where we gather churches from all over the country, some people from around the world that are going to be here in this faith environment. But th this is our church conference. We don't just do this for kicks and giggles. It's a lot of work. Can I get an amen? We do this because we believe God has called us to host this faith environment. And uh, I believe God's going to speak to us. There's always a shift that takes place in these gatherings, these moments. There's just something about these faith environments that, that God does. And we've got speakers coming from around the country that we've prayed for, that we believe are going to speak in the life of who we are uh, as a church. I was talking to a pastor a couple of weeks ago uh, in Jackson, Ohio. He's a senior pastor, pastors an amazing church in, in the middle of nowhere, Jackson, Ohio. And he was just saying he was... They were searching for a conference to attend. This is back in 2019, before all the COVID madness. And, and they were looking for a conference. They wanted to take a vacation, looking for something by the beach. And they found Wave Conference in Virginia Beach. And I love this senior pastor. He, he said, Josh, I just need you to tell your, your church and your, your pastors uh, how much that conference means to us. We were unsure of our, where we were headed in our direction of our church and our future. And, 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 and we came to Wave Conference and I, I heard Pastor Steve speak and the Holy Spirit spoke to me. And that's all I needed. So I was ready to go home. I wasn't going to attend the rest of conference. I got what I needed. He said, but my wife wanted to stay for the rest of conference. So we did stay for the rest of conference. But I love, I think sometimes, you know, even just we can take for granted what God's doing here. This isn't normal. It should be, but it's not. And I love our church, and I love our city, and I love our senior pastors, Pastor Steve and Sharon. I'm just, come on, anybody thankful for our senior pastors, Pastor Steve and Sharon? And what I, what I love about Wave Conference, I love about our church, is there are many people in this room, and you've taken vacation to serve, to make conference happen. I just get the sense that God is just smiling over Virginia Beach, over Wave Church, of, 
what's going to take place. Amen? Amen and amen. If you're taking notes this morning, the title of our conversation is this. You can write this down. I want to encourage you to take notes. It's how you get into heaven is by taking notes. And you can write this down. The title of our conversation today is thank you. Thank you. I don't have another title that said it's all I got. Turn to your neighbor and say, hey, hey, thank you. Turn to your other neighbor that you just ignored and say, hey, thank, thank you too. We're going to read some Bible this morning. If the keys, can you stay with me until we pray? We're going to read some Bible. Just a reminder today, these are not my ideas, my opinions. We don't need any of that. We need the truth of the Word of God. And we're going to look at some scripture this morning. If you don't know who I am, by the way, I have the honor and privilege of serving as the Great Neck Campus Pastor here at Wave Church. And say hello to again our online campus, our online family. Romans chapter 12. Before we read this, I just want to give a little bit of, of context to what we are about to read. This is Paul speaking. And if you've never read Romans, I would encourage you to. It gives us a great theology of this gospel that we believe. Uh, Paul shows us and, and explains and articulates this, this, the power of, of this gospel that is, by the way, good news. This gospel is, is good news that Jesus died for you and died for me and rose from the grave, defeating the devil, defeating sin, defeating who we used to be so that you and I could come to church today and experience his grace and his mercy just as we are. That's good news. There's nothing that you can do to earn it, to deserve it, but, but Jesus died for you and for me. That is good news. And, and, and Paul explains the gospel, explains the, the power of being transformed by the grace and mercy of, of God. And, and then Paul, towards the end of Romans, he gives us practical tools for you and I to live out this Christian life. And I love what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. It, it says this. So here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. I think the Holy Spirit reminds me to also place my actions on a golf course before God as an offering. I try to justify it as righteous anger. Can I get an amen? Watch this. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. Renew your mind. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity. You ever notice that? God brings the best out of you, develops well-formed maturity in you. Verse 3, this is what Paul says. I'm speaking to you. He's speaking to the early Christians in Rome. I'm speaking to you out of deep gratitude, out of deep thankfulness for all that God has given me. And especially as I have responsibilities in relation to you. Living then as every one of you does in pure grace, it's important that you not misinterpret yourselves as people who are bringing the goodness, this goodness to God. No, God brings it all to you. 
Oh, how often I think that I'm bringing goodness to God. No, friend, God brings all the goodness to me. Can I get an amen? amen? The only accurate way to understand ourselves is by what God is and by what he does for us, not by what we are and what we do for him. Psalm 100, verse 4. I love the psalmist writes, enter with the password, thank you. Enter with the password, thank you. How often I try to enter with the password of complaining. Oh, but God, what about this? But, but the psalmist writes, how simple this, this is, enter with the password, thank you. Make yourselves at home talking praise, thank him, worship him. Can we pray this morning? we pray let's pray Jesus God I thank you for who you are I thank you for your presence today Holy Spirit I can sense you moving in this room God we thank you that you are here without your presence this morning would almost be a waste of time God help me God help me I need you God to communicate your word God, I pray personally for your grace, your power, your authority, your anointing. God, I am so aware. I am nothing without it. God, thank you for helping me see the people in this room. God, there's so much potential in this room. Amazing people that you've saved and called. God, we thank you for your word. God, I pray that we'd have open hearts and open minds to be changed and transformed by your truth and your grace. And God, we just continue to collectively, in unity, pray for the New York Jets organization. And everybody said, I'm going to keep praying for it. I don't know if you've noticed, but in life there are typically two types of people. There are those who like being surprised who enjoy surprises, and there are those who do not. I am one of those individuals where I, if you surprise me, you're going to fill me with joy. I enjoy being surprised, especially surprise gifts. I enjoy being surprised. Now, here's the other thing is, is sometimes, not always, but sometimes in marriage, there is one who enjoys surprises and one who does not. You can probably guess since I love being surprised, Brooke does not so much enjoy being surprised. I don't know if there's any spouses out there like me where like every couple of years you try to see if they've grown out of that and you test to see if they like surprises. Oh no, you don't like surprises still? Okay, we'll try again in a couple of years. And I learned this lesson early on while we were, before we were married and while we were dating is, 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 is you know, Brooke's not a huge fan of surprises, especially gifts, especially clothing Gifts. There's a reason for this is because I'm currently batting zero for 1,000 with gifts of clothing. <laughs> I learned this for the first time while we were dating. This is when we just first started dating. I went on a trip uh, overseas and I thought to myself, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get a gift for Brooke and I'm going to surprise her with, with this gift. This before I, I really learned that she didn't really enjoy surprises. I'm going to get her a gift. I haven't said I love you yet, but I want to get her a gift that shows and says, I love you. And, and I thought to myself, well, I'm going to get her a clothing gift, and I'm going to get her a pair of expensive jeans. 
I made a couple mistakes. One is I didn't know her size, so I guessed. <laughs> hey, guys, don't guess. And I saw these jeans, and I just thought they were perfect. It was like, they were it. And the problem is, is these were the bluest jeans made in the history of blue jeans. I, I love all the colors in clothing. There's somebody on our staff this morning. I'm she's not going to say her name, but it rhymes with Ky Kylie Chalfant. And she asked me this morning, she said, Josh, what went through your mind when you picked those shoes with that shirt? I said, Kylie, I don't pick the shoes. The shoes pick me. So I got these jeans, and, and, and here's the thing. When I give a gift, I, I want the thank you to match the level of gift. And so I came back. I was so excited to give Brooke these, these blue jeans, expensive blue jeans, and, and I presented her this gift, and, and I, I was expecting, you know, this amazing, huge thank you, like, oh, my God, Josh, you're amazing. And, and in turn, and I, I, honestly, out of the kindness and graciousness, graciousness of Brooke's heart, I got a, oh, thanks. Because I just didn't realize it was, it was a bad gift. Brooke, again, out of the kindness and graciousness of her heart, I think wore the jeans at least once. I just didn't realize it was a bad gift. We tried to donate them to Blue Man Group, and even they didn't take them out. These are too blue. I think we can agree that the thank you to a gift is correlated to the magnitude of a gift. Have you ever seen somebody receive a gift and, and, and they just didn't seem that thankful for it. Like they received a good gift. And you're like, you should be more thankful. Like give it to me and I will show you how to be thankful for this gift. I remember being a kid and this was back when Razor scooters were a craze and, and all I wanted was a Razor scooter. And I'll never forget my friend's dad bought him a Razor scooter. And, and I was just disappointed in his response. Just wasn't that excited. I'm like, dude, are you kidding me? You got a Razor scooter. You should be more excited. And not only did you get a Razor scooter, your dad got you the one with the little shocks on the front. So when you hop off a curb, it absorbs the energy. Dude, how are you not more excited? Give me the scooter. Let me show you how to be thankful. And church, my, my concern, my concern for the church, for, for us as Jesus followers, is, is that our thank you to God does not always correlate to the magnitude of the gift that he has given us. Our thank you to God doesn't always correlate to this magnitude of this gift of grace and salvation that God has given you and me. It concerns me how often I find myself living in a place of entitlement as a Jesus follower, and I start to think, God, you owe me, forgetting that every breath, every inhale, every exhale is a gift from God. It concerns me how often I find myself insecure about living out this Christian life. It concerns me how often as the church we are so worried about what the world thinks about us and the life that we're living and maybe we're different and maybe we're considered crazy. Yet, if the world were to look at your life and look at my life and look at the church and, and ponder and wonder and ask the question, what is it about you? Why is it that you live this way? We know the answer is unashamedly simple. Oh, friend, you just don't understand. My life is just a thank you. And if you don't understand the thank you, you just don't yet understand this gift that God has given me, the greatest gift that any human could receive. 
You don't understand. I was once lost in sin and broken in sin and in bondage and slavery to sin. And I was on my way to hell. Yet my perfect and holy God saved me and rescued me. Oh, you just don't understand. My life is just a thank you. So yes, I live differently. And yes, my life looks different because I no longer have to go to the world. I no longer have to go to culture to find fulfillment and find purpose and find satisfaction because I found it in this gift of grace, my Savior Jesus. Oh, you just don't understand. I'm, I'm just thankful. I'm just thankful. My life, my life is a thank you. And church, I wonder, do we understand the magnitude of this gift? And here's the thing. If I were to give you a gift, if I were to give Pastor Robert a gift, a gift that costs me, an expensive gift, if I were to give Pastor Robert a $500 Visa gift card, I'm not going to really give you one. Guess it's expensive right now. <laughs> if I were to give that gift to Pastor Robert, when I gave it to him, he didn't say thank you. He threw it on the ground. You know what I would do? I would take it back. And if I were to somehow find out beforehand, Robert heard that I was going to give him this gift that cost me, and I found out that that's what he was going to do with this gift, I wouldn't give it to him. I'd find somebody else who would appreciate it. And to think that our God, who gave the most expensive gift in human history, and his son Jesus, for people that he knew would reject it, he knew would abuse it. He knew wouldn't acknowledge it. He knew would backslide from it. Yet God so loved the world that he gave his son anyway for whoever believes. Church, I wonder, do we really understand? Do we really understand this gift that God has given us? This gift of salvation, of grace. And this same gift giver who has saved you has called you. Did you know that today? I see a lot of Christians living saved. I don't see as many living called. Did you know that God has called you? I mean, th think about that. God has called you. God He's called you. My suggestion for you and I today is that our lives as Jesus followers are simply a thank you offering to God. You say, well, what do we thank him with? I'm going to read it again. Romans 2 suggests we thank him with everything. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. I'm going to ask this question, maybe write this down, think about this today, this week. Where have you stopped saying thank you to God? Where have you stopped expressing thank you to God? Maybe I'll put it this way. What area of your life have you stopped placing before God as a thank you offering? If you're like me, there's times in my life where I begin to step in a, in, into entitlement. And I begin to take some things back. I think, you know what, God, no thank you, I, I got this part. 
Think about that today. Church, what area of your life have you stopped placing before God as a thank you offering? I think about this moment in Scripture. I think about this moment in Scripture where Jesus is walking on his way from one city to the next. And on his way to this city, we know this because the Bible tells us he wasn't yet in the city gates. He was outside of the city and he encounters ten lepers. And we know that Jesus encounters them there because the Bible tells us, but we also know, culturally speaking, those ten lepers would not be allowed back into the city. They have to keep their distance from people. They've been diagnosed with this sickness and with this disease. That culturally, in the context of this situation, is one of the worst places you could find yourself as a human being. You, you would lose everything. You are slowly dying. And you've lost your property, you can't be with your family, you've lost your finances, you have nothing. You are an outcast. And Jesus encounters these ten lepers on his way to Jerusalem. And we know that these ten lepers have heard enough about Jesus to, to ask for help. They ask Jesus and they keep their distance because they know they can't get too close. And they're not, they don't understand that they can actually get as close as they want to Jesus. And they asked Jesus, Jesus, could you, could you help us? Could you heal us? It's interesting what Jesus says. Jesus says to the ten lepers, he doesn't say, hey, I've healed you. Jesus says, hey, go into the city, go see the priest and, and see if he says that you're healed. Now we know these ten lepers have a little bit of faith. Because their question that they asked was for healing and Jesus did not answer that question in the way that they were hoping. But they still did what he said. How often I ask God questions and he answers in a way that's different than I wanted. But could I have faith to just do what he said? And, and these 10 lepers, they, they begin to make their way. I mean, I, you could imagine they're probably a little confused. Like, okay, we asked for healing. We've heard that you've healed people, but you didn't heal us. You asked us to go check with the local priest if we're healed. So we're, we're, and they're walking, all 10 together. And as they're walking towards the city, they look down and they, they see that they are healed. And you can imagine the excitement that they would have. They are now healed. They now can get their life back. They can see their family again. They can go home again. And so we can understand that they don't even go to the, to the priest that Jesus told them to. They just go celebrate. And yet one thinks to himself, I need to go back to the one who has healed me and say thank you. The Bible says that this one leper goes back to Jesus. The Bible says that he can't help but stop saying thank you. And this one leper gives us a, a glimpse into the power of what it means to be thank you because he finds out not only did Jesus heal him, but Jesus says to him, because you came back and said thank you, you need to know something. I didn't just physically heal you, but I've spiritually saved you. And church, how often I find myself like the nine instead of the one. Where I'm asking God, God, can you do this for me? And he does it. And instead of saying thank you, I go back to how I was living before. How often I pray, God, I pray for blessing and he blesses me and I become more consumed with the blessing than the blesser. How often I pray for healing and he heals me and I become more consumed with the healing than the healer. And yet this one leper reminds you and I today, this life as Jesus' followers is not what God can do for us, but it's simply coming before him every day. God, thank you. God, you could do nothing else. And thank you. This gift of grace and salvation that you would call me 
Thank you. Thank you. I wonder, church, that we understand the magnitude, the power of salvation. Can I get an amen? Y'all still with me? Online, y'all still with me? Before we close, I want to talk about an area of life that I so often lose my thank you. And I look at God's word and I see people in God's word in this area lose their thank you. And maybe this relates to you. How often I lose my thank you in the valley. You live life long enough, there will be some amazing mountaintop moments. And there will also be some devastating valleys. God's word reminds us, friend, that there are hard times. In fact, there is no avoiding some valleys. I love what Jesus says to his disciples in John 16, his disciples that would pioneer his church. He said, guys, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And then he says this, and guys, by the way, if you're going to follow me in this world, you will have trouble. It's not a maybe. You will have trouble. Jesus reminds you and I today as Jesus followers, as we build the church, there will be some trouble. Can I get an amen? And Jesus says, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And then in James, it's the half-brother of Jesus. He, he's, he's writing and speaking to not just a specific church, church but generally the church. James has the audacity to say this. James is writing scripture and he says, consider it pure joy. Now if I were James and I was writing scripture what I said after, what I would say after consider it pure joy is quite different to what James says. I would write consider it pure joy when the Jets make the playoffs. <laughs> consider it a miracle. Consider it pure joy when I break 80 playing golf. Consider it pure joy when Brooke makes buffalo chicken dip. Glory to God. Yet James has the audacity to say this. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. James didn't just say, hey, there's some trials, consider it pure joy. James says, consider it pure joy when you face many trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Verse 4, it gets worse. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Yet how often I find myself as a Jesus follower, and I would rather be immature and incomplete than persevere. And church, how quickly I lose my thank you in the valley, how quickly I lose my perspective of joy, my perspective of perseverance in the, in the valley. You may be in church today thinking, how can I consider this trial pure joy? Yet God's word suggests to you and I, the most powerful place, the most powerful place as a Christian to express our thank you is in the valley. 
Can I get an amen? Why can we be thankful in the valley? I've got two things and then we're done. Number one is this, a reminder, something to remember in the valley is God has prepared a table for you. God has prepared a table in your valley. The psalmist writes in Psalm 23, verse 5. Catch this, church. You prepare a table before me in the presence of of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Church, online, did you know that God has prepared a table for you before you ever stepped foot into your valley? God had already set and prepared a table for you with the sustenance that you need to make it through. It does not matter how dark it gets, how chaotic it gets, there is always a table that God has prepared for you with the grace and the mercy and the strength and the purpose that you and I need. God, I thank you that if I'm in the valley, it means that there's a table here somewhere for me. You know what I've also found is that it's not the only table in the valley. That the devil has also prepared other tables. Tables of sin, of compromise, of doubt, of backsliding. And if you're in church today and maybe you're in a valley and you've lost your thank you, you've lost your gratitude, you've lost your perspective of joy, maybe we just need to see what table we are sitting at. How often I've found myself in a valley and I'm just sitting at the wrong table. Three things that help me stay at the table that God has prepared for me is reading the Bible every day. Keeps me at his table. Praying keeps me at his table. And thirdly, I'm gonna say this and I wanna talk about it a little bit, is it, church. Keeps me at his table. Now, I want to talk about this a little bit because in today's culture, we hear that word. We think, yeah, I'm in church. I'm not just talking about attending a Sunday service, although we need to be in this environment. The gathering of the saints, this faith environment, we need this. But when I say church, I mean what keeps me at the table that God has prepared for me is is, is that I'm really in community. And what I mean by that is my life is open to people in my life who know me, who love me, that when I go and sneak over to a table that I don't need to be at, they have full permission to come over and tap me on the shoulder. Hey, Josh, you're at the wrong table. What keeps me at the table that God has prepared for me, oh, how often at times I need a friend in my life. Josh, you're at the wrong table, bud. You know, I've found being a parent, I've got a four-year-old girl, almost a two-year-old boy, as when we sit at the dinner table, how quickly they want to leave. Can I go? Can I be done? There's still food on your plate. And I do the same thing with God. God, can I be done? Can I be done with this valley? Oh, son. There's still food on that plate. 
if you're going to grow and be mature and lacking nothing, you got to remain at this table. And I know it means we're going to stay in this valley, but it means you're with me. Church, remain at the table that God has prepared for you. Secondly is this. The keys can come on up. I can be thankful in the valley because there is a gift waiting for me every morning. Lamentations chapter 3, before I read it. This verse I'm about to read. Prophet Jeremiah writes these words, and it's important we understand the words that he's writing and what he's looking at while he's writing them. Jeremiah, the prophet, God's mouthpiece, is writing, lamenting because he's watching the people of God, he's watching Israel being desolated and destroyed. And it's as he watches destruction, Jeremiah says this, The Lord's acts of mercy indeed do not end. This is, I would suggest, the darkest valley Jeremiah finds himself in. And he says, the Lord's acts of mercies indeed do not end, for his compassions do not fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Oh, in the midst of destruction and despair, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I wait for him. How often I forget in the valley, in those times in life where it seems like all I'm looking at is chaos. How often I forget every morning I wake up, there's a gift waiting for me of new mercy. I don't know if I'm old enough to say back in my day yet. No. But I've noticed something. Last couple of years, there's been some snow days. And these middle schoolers and high schoolers find out immediately if school's canceled. Notification on their phone, like a hologram pops up. There's drones going to people's houses telling them. Back in my day, it wasn't like that. There's a call for snow. We stay up an extra 10 minutes to pray. God, please let it snow. Want this gift of a snow day. We wake up, open the window, and there's snow on the ground. But that's just half the battle. We go into the living room. Mom, I don't want breakfast yet. We're fasting. (laughs) And we had to turn on the TV. Y'all remember this? On the news. And, and, And the names of schools and organizations would scroll on the bottom. And you had to wait. And every time I turned on the TV, it was the letter after my school. I had to wait for the entire alphabet. They go through, like, stuff that, like, different libraries. Nobody cares about the library. (laughs) Just tell me if my school's canceled. Waiting. Oh, God, please, it's getting closer. I want this gift of a snow day. Oh, let our school be on the list. 
And as Christians, how often we treat the mercy of God the same way. In the valley, we wake up, oh God, I hope that you're with me today. God, is there mercy for me today? Yet God's word reminds us there's one thing that you can count on when you are in your valley is that there is a gift of new mercy waiting for you. You don't have to turn on the news and hope that your name is on the list no matter who you are. If you are in a valley every morning that you wake up, there is grace, there is hope, there is mercy. The presence of God is with you. He is for you every day. Every morning I wake up, and if you've been in a dark enough valley, you know, oh God, I need mercy today because I don't know if I'm going to make it through today without it. And God, I thank you that it's not just the mercy from yesterday. It's new mercy. New mercy. For me, I can, even in a valley, I can go to sleep in anticipation of a gift waiting for me. New mercy. God, I thank you that in my valley, you prepared a table for me. And every morning I wake up, and as I face life, oh God, I thank you that you're with me. And that every morning there's a gift waiting for me of new mercy. And church, I guess what I'm trying to say is that as Jesus' followers, our lives are simply a thank you offering. And may we be a church where we just can't say thank you enough. Oh God, we thank you. Oh God, I thank you with everything, all of my life. The least that I can do is thank you with everything. God, I thank you with my thoughts, my desires, my actions, my family, my business, my kids, my marriage. God, I thank you with my money. I thank you with my sexuality. God, I thank you with everything. Everything. You know what I've found is when I live in gratitude of this gift of salvation, I, I'm more thankful. I'm more thankful for my wife. I'm more thankful for my church. I'm more thankful for my city that God has called me to reach. I was just in a church in Jackson, Ohio. God, I thank you for Virginia Beach and the ocean. I'm more thankful for the people that are in my city. God, that you've called me to Hampton Roads. God, I'm more thankful for our military. God, I thank you for our military families. God, I thank you for the people in my 1.7 million people in Hampton Roads. God, that you've trusted me to reach, us to reach, Wave Church. So again, I ask the question, where have we stopped saying thank you? What area of our lives do we need to place back on that altar? God, thank you. Can I get an amen? You received the word? Amen. amen.